You know I'm right. The show that uncovers the origin stories of some of the biggest names in sports, entertainment, and news. Nick Durst here with Joe Calabrese. Joe's got the C on his shirt for his last name, if you are watching <laughs> on the video stream here today, which is really great. Uh, but Joe, very excited for our guest today. Uh, I know we always love it when we get a fellow Italian on with us. Absolutely, a fellow Paisan with us. Uh, he's been a reporter for Major League Baseball for MLB.com since 2004. Uh, he's also a columnist, and he is also uh, the writer for A Fan's Guide to Baseball Analytics. Uh, so that's something that we'll get into later with him. But uh, we're really, really happy to have him on. Appreciate his time. Uh, Anthony Kashevins. Anthony, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm well. Thanks for having me, even though I'm uh, ill-fitting for a podcast called You Know I'm Right, because I've never been right about anything. So <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> you having me regardless. You always have those, you know, you always do those great hot stove segments where you're predicting three years in the future. So <laughs> One of these days, it'll, it'll hit. I'll, I'll, yeah, blind squirrel finds a nut. I'll get occasionally, I'll, I'll run into one, yeah. <laughs> so we got to ask you at the top here, as an Italian, what do you think is the best eating holiday? The best eating holiday is Thanksgiving, um, and I'm fine with, uh, you know, the, the turkey and stuffing and fixing and whatnot, but I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, a spaghetti and meatball feast uh, and <laughs> Uh, my in-laws have learned to work in uh, Italian food into Christmas or New Year's or whatever, like things where they never would have had Italian food before I came along. Um, so I like to think I, I've, you know, they've wised up uh, in my presence. So I've, I've, okay. I've brought that to them because you can, you can have Italian food for anything and it works. That's a fair point. Uh, <laughs> Nick and I, we're kind of on the same page with this. We, we prefer Christmas Eve and uh, I'm a huge fish seafood guy. We love the yeah. seven fishes on Christmas Eve. So uh, that's it for us. Uh, we, we do like Thanksgiving, but I'm not a huge turkey guy. I think a lot of people are huge turkey well, people anyway. In our family, uh, Christmas Eve is homemade sausage. We make the sausage a few weeks in advance, a couple hundred pounds of, of Italian sausage wow. and, uh, uh, wrapped inside of, uh, there's a, I live in Cleveland. There's a place called Presti's pizza in, 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 um, uh, in little Italy. Um, that has, it, it's great for wrapping around that, that homemade sausage. So that, that to me is what Christmas Eve tastes like and looks like. So you are from Cleveland and I, you know, this is kind of debatable here, but who was the first person in, in the past 30 years to bring a championship home to Cleveland? Was it the Miz when he became WWE <laughs> champion or was it LeBron James? <laughs> uh, no, no disrespect to the Miz, but I, I think, uh, yeah, we had a pretty big parade that that LeBron uh, was was a, a focal point of, if I remember correctly. So I'll probably side with LeBron on that one. All right, the Miz, of course, great in the celebrity baseball softball game every All Star right. game. So <laughs> one, one of Cleveland's greatest exports at this point. Well, insane. also don't forget, don't forget Hector Marinero, who uh, the Cleveland Crunch uh, back in the day. I think it was 1994. Right. Um, I can't even tell you. I can't even remember the name of the soccer league, but. Uh, that was technically uh, Cleveland's first sport, team sports championship in a very long time, but, uh, you know, kind of gets lost to history. Yeah. And then Joe, of course, you're the big UFC guy, the world heavyweight champ. Felipe Miocic. That's yeah. right. So, a lot of great, a lot of, a lot of great Clevelanders and who knows, <laughs> you know, back sports and we'll see what happens with Baker Mayfield where he ends up. But Getting, getting to you here, Anthony, what made you want to pursue a career in sports journalism? 
Uh, well, first of all, lack of ability to play sports, uh, yet, you know, passion and love for sports. It, it starts there. Um, and I had a family friend who was a writer, uh, not a sports writer, but just a writer in general, I, a newspaper writer. And I thought that was such a cool job. I always loved writing um, just from a very young age. And um, even when I was playing Little League or um, or had a, you know, I had a baseball video game I, I was obsessed with and, and playing out a full season, I would write the game stories for every game I played, you know, so I, I was kind of doing it before I even knew it was a job, you know, um, just just having that 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 pure love of sport and and love writing and and then as I got older and realized oh you can actually do that for a living um it was kind of a no-brainer for me yeah it seems like everybody we have on has that passion from a young age uh high school newspaper yeah uh being involved in stuff like that so uh, you attended high Ohio University mm -hmm. um what was the process like uh to make that decision obviously you stayed in state uh, yeah. and when you were there uh, what did you do on campus to stay active? Uh, were you involved with any internships and stuff like that? Uh, it wasn't even a decision to go there, to be honest. I didn't apply anywhere else. Uh, both of my older brothers had gone there and I didn't see any reason. I loved the place uh, just from visiting them and, um, and they had a, a great journalism program. Um, so it was, it was just kind of fell all into place for me. Uh, and so, yeah, like I said, didn't apply anywhere. was happy to get in there and, um, you know, pretty much right away started working for the school paper um eventually uh my uh what sophomore what sophomore junior or, no excuse me junior and senior year I wrote, I wrote for the local paper um as a legit you know their beat writer for Ohio University Sports which is great because it's a division one school but there wasn't uh, it's not like it gets a ton of media coverage so you kind of get to own the beat um at that young age and formative stage um, so that was a great experience. And then as far as internships, um, Scripps Howard News Service uh, was functional back then. And uh, we were a Scripps college. And uh, so I got my foot in the door through that and got worked for them in Washington, D.C. for a summer, just kind of covering everything going on in D.C. Uh, sports wise, which is really cool. Um, and then I worked for the Cleveland Plain Dealer uh, as an internship uh, after college. So just a lot of great uh, just, you know, real life experiences that you know, I, I learn more from all those than anything you learn in the classroom. I think that's that's true of a lot of people and, and probably in a lot of fields, um, but, but particularly just getting covered Division One sports, uh, you know, uh, uh, football, basketball and baseball um, for that local paper uh, as a beat writer and, and traveling and all that. But, I mean, th those were great experiences. That's a good segue with the Cleveland Plain Dealer stuff. Uh I was going to ask that, you know, because it seems yeah. like a lot of people who go to school in Ohio, there's the connection there to the right. Cleveland and, and Cincinnati. Um, so the hardest part in the industry is getting your first job, right? So yeah. uh, you interned for the Cleveland Plain Dealer after you attended Ohio University. Uh, so what was the process like uh, getting your first real uh, yeah. journalism job after school? I mean, honestly, I ran right into a wall, like right into a buzzsaw of just, just difficulty um and it really affects your ego at the time because you think oh, i'm pretty good you know and i like i said i had all these great experiences but you very quickly realize just how competitive this field is and you know at a time when things were just i i graduated in 2003 so things were starting to shift to more digital and newspaper business kind of upended by that and it was just a much different world than the world i had uh decided to venture into just a few years earlier you know, going into college um, and it was really difficult. Uh, so after interning that summer, after I graduated college, 
Um, I was just kind of scrambling and applying all over the place. Um, got a healthy batch of rejection letters. And uh, um, I ended up taking a news writing job, um, just not, you know, very close to home, just to, to kind of get somewhere, get my foot in the door somewhere. That was at the Sandusky Register. Um, and it was just funny because I had actively avoided being a news writer, news writer uh, throughout college and very hyper focused on sports. And it was to my benefit to, to actually take that job because I, I learned the things I probably should have learned, um, you know, when I was fully devoted to covering uh, football, basketball and baseball, you know, covering city council and, and cops and courts and stuff like that. Um, that was a great experience as well. And that was just a few months or so. And then um, MLB.com at that point did not have an internship program, uh, but I pestered my way into kind of becoming uh, the guinea pig there and becoming the first intern. Um, I, I just bothered them enough that they finally just just hired me to, to shut me up. So I, I quit the full-time job uh, at the newspaper to be where I wanted to be, which is covering sports and specifically covering baseball. And, and I had freelanced for MLB.com, so I had my foot in the door that way. Um, and, you know, I've been there pretty much ever since you know I, I i was an intern for a full baseball season and then um during the following off season i worked for a newspaper while while waiting and hoping uh i'd be on full time the following season and that's exactly what happened so i've been there ever since so you mentioned that this time basically everything was kind of changing everything was starting to slowly go more digital yeah your whole life basically and definitely in college I'm sure you're being taught or you're in a mindset of need to get into a paper here so yeah. on your behalf was there any hesitation about going to be a writer exclusively for digital and if not did you hear anything from any naysayers that were like i don't know anthony this this internet thing might not last too long yeah you know i i it's funny you say that because i do distinctly remember i did get offered a job at a newspaper at a time when i was uh wrapping up the internship with MLB.com and trying to figure out what happens next, whether I would stay on there or, you know, go back to newspapers. And I was offered a pretty good newspaper job at that point. And um, I remember turning them down uh, because I, I felt pretty good about my chances of, of remaining with MLB.com. And I remember him derisive, the editor derisively saying, well, good luck with a dot com, you know, kind of rolling his <laughs> eyes. Uh, you can hear it in his voice. And uh, um, I didn't have much hesitation, I guess, just because I knew what the format was having uh, freelance there and then worked there for a full season. I knew the editors I was working with. I was working with good people who were passionate and, and smart and came from newspaper backgrounds. It wasn't some haphazard thing just just slapped together. Um, I think originally MLB.com, like uh, team writers and that sort of thing, were, were they were basically team employees uh, that just Hey, we needed something on the website, so you threw it up there, and a lot of those, you know, were ill-fitting uh, matches, but. At that point, um, when I got on board, it was really starting to to be shaped into a legit uh, journalistic enterprise, you know. Um, and I felt really good about it. I just felt like it was a really good place to, um, you know, to travel, to see the country, to to try, you know, interesting things. And there was nothing really off limits in that internship in terms of what I could try, um, features I could write. Um, I was, you know, how old was I? Uh, Twenty three years old, and and you know, covering Major League Baseball on a daily basis, you know, yeah. usually. Um, and I think that that happens more often now. I, when, when I graduated college, it was more common for people that age, people in my position 
to start out covering, you know, high school sports for a newspaper. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a great experience. And I did a lot of that, but, um, but to be thrust into covering major league baseball was, was just an awesome opportunity. So I, it was hard to, you know, be picky or, uh, you know, feel weird about it anyway, because it was just, it was so fun. It was just such a great, you know, experience. Absolutely. So over the last 10 years, how have you treaded the line when it comes to breaking news between I got to tweet this out first, so mm-hmm. I got the credit versus let me put this up on MLB.com and then tweet out my article? Yeah, when I was covering a beat that was uh, and, and as as you know, Twitter, as social media in general just kind of exploded, uh, that was always delicate. And uh, I think it's important to know where your bread is buttered, first and foremost, <laughs> who's uh, Twitter has not has. Maybe someday, but Twitter has yet to send me a paycheck. Um, it would be nice, but um, and so there is that. You know, you, you have to think of of the first job is to inform your readers, and and you also have to remember that Twitter is such a small space of our readership, really. Um, but that's not to say it's not important because it is. There is a large audience there, um, so it is a balance. But um, you know, I, I think there are ways to to tease the, the fuller story uh, at your outlet. Uh, while still giving the news. I, I think you see that a lot. Um, but I mean, at, at the end of the day, Twitter is always going to be first, whether it's you or someone else and, and scoops only last seconds anymore. So, um, you know, there's no avoiding that. But I, I think where we can really shine uh, at our outlet, and this goes for any outlet, is to provide the full context. You know, it's one thing to tweet out the base news, and it's another thing to to have the context that goes with it. And to me, that's where the real race is, is not so much the race to be the first to report something, um, but, but the race to be the best to report it, you know, uh, to give the fullest picture of the news. Absolutely. So 12, 13 years ago, MLB Network launches. Naturally, a lot of your, a lot of your colleagues and you end up getting on uh, various shows as guest appearances. So for you, especially coming from strictly journalism, that's what you did in college. What was the learning curve for you like and how comfortable have you become over the years when, when you come on to do your segments? Yeah, you know, I got really lucky there because um, I was I was really, uh, I don't know, like tunnel vision slash slash closed minded uh, when I was in college and I was early in my professional career in that um, I am a writer and that's what I am. And uh, I am not you know, a multimedia, whatever. Um, that's just not what I'm trained for. That's not what I'm interested in, et cetera. Uh, as I've grown older and, and just, um, gotten more comfortable just, uh, with my, you know, industry knowledge, um, just as a function of being around long enough, you know, to remember stuff and to have contacts and to know stuff, um, you know, you just get more comfortable in your own skin. And, and so I got, and when I say I got lucky, what I mean is, you know, early in my MLB.com career, there weren't, yeah, we had, we had like MLB.com radio that I don't think anyone listened to. Um, and we had, we would have occasional video things that no one watched. Um, so I was able to like kind of learn while doing those in, in front of a very small audience and, uh, would probably cringe if I saw or heard any of that today. Um, and, and some other local TV stuff and whatnot, and just terrible, you know, on like uh, Ron Burgundy, you know, where do I, where do I put my hands kind of thing. Um, but you learn from all of that. And, and then meanwhile, this, this, as you said, this major uh, opportunity and, and, you know, broadcast opportunity comes along in the form of MLB network. And um, you know, the first few years it existed, MLB.com and MLB network kind of existed separately. We were kind of separate worlds. 
um, which again was probably to my benefit because I wasn't really ready for all that yet. Um, but by the time they did come calling, I was more prepared. I was more ready. I was more experienced and, uh, and, you know, worked out pretty well. I, I, I love going on there now. I love the people who, who run the ship there. I love the, the on-air talent is great to work with. And, um, and it's another place where they, they are not afraid to have fun and they're not afraid to try things. You know, I, I throw silly segment ideas at them and they, uh, you know, let's try it. Why not? <laughs> and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I've gotten to do some features for them as well. It's just, it's been a really fun, um, kind of bonus, uh, you know, to what I do with MLB.com. Yeah. I think most people in your position have reservations about being on TV and doing stuff like that at first, but yeah. I think the nature of the, the industry and the business has changed so much because yes. I know when I went to college and I know when Nick went to college, uh, we both went, we got our communications degrees. Uh, we were basically taught a, a very well, uh, rounded, um, curriculum for the business and stuff like that. So it's like now people, are, uh, you take classes uh, to be on camera, to learn how to do that, to learn how to read off prompters and stuff like that, right. how to report out in the field and do the broadcast journalism. And Nick is very, very good at doing that. So when I was at Ohio U, we, it was like the journalism school was actually divided into different categories. There was news writing and editing, which I was in. There was magazine writing. Um, there was broadcast, um, there was public relations and there might've been one other, I can't remember, um, design, I think. Yeah. Design. Um, and what I've learned is that I should have been in all five and it was impossible. I would have been there for like eight years or something to do all the classes you have to do to be in all five. But I mean, that's, I, that should have been the curriculum. And, you know, you know, now if you were during a journalism curriculum, you would include all those things because you need to learn about all, even if you don't do like, if you don't do public relations, it's, it's important to learn about public relations. You know, uh, even if you don't do magazine writing, it's, it's good to know, you know, the, the particulars of that, that industry or what have you. So, um, cause yeah, now my, my job has involved a lot of that stuff that, that was totally separate from what I was doing in college. Wow, magazines, huh? Remember those? Pulling out all these uh, terms. <laughs> so you've been there for a really, really long time. Uh, I want to ask about favorite and least favorite events that you've covered. Mm. Now I'm talking uh, big scope here. So we're talking yeah. about games in particular, uh, maybe press conferences and interviews and stuff like that. Uh, maybe there were events, uh, you know, after the game or post game where you kind of ran into a certain player, or certain managers, or certain front office people. Uh, but what were your favorite and least favorite events uh, off the top of your head? Because I know it's very hard to narrow it down and, and choose one or, or any yeah. particular well, ones. I'm very fortunate in my role now where I kind of get the greatest hits of baseball, you know, where uh, so like spring training comes along and I'll go, I'll, I'll spend a little bit of time in each state, you know, maybe like a week or so in each state and bounce around and see different teams and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, jewel events, the all-star game, the world series, you know, postseason in general, um, you know, one-off events like the little league classic, you know, things like that. Um, you know, random, I, I think of like you know, a trip to the field of dreams in Iowa and stuff like that. Um, so that I'm seeing the best of the best, you know? Um, and then, you know, on the flip side of that is when you go to spring training for eight weeks, <laughs> that's a different thing than going for couple of weeks and bouncing around when you go to when you go to spring training and you're covering a team for eight weeks you know, that's a different thing um so when you're spending you know eight weeks in winter haven florida 
you know, that can wear on you a little bit after a while. So that that's kind of the difference. And I was in my twenties when I was covering a team. So it wasn't as bad as it would be today, like to leave a family behind, you know, yeah. and things of that nature. But um, so that's, that's the yin and yang of that. But um, you know, I, I can't say I've had too many bad experiences to be honest. I mean, it, baseball writing is a real grind. And particularly when you do cover a team for 162 games and you cover the full spring training, and then that team happens to go on a long postseason run I mean, you think about that, that's, that's, the, that's most of your year right there. And you're on the road for roughly half of it. Um, you know, that, that can wear a person down if you do it over time, you know, and if you, and if you have a family and all those things I said, or commitments back home. Um, so I've always said that if you can cover baseball, you can cover anything just because it is every day. And I mean, anything like you can cover the white house or, or what have you, because it does teach you so much um, about just grinding it out. And, um, you learn so much about the country. You learn so much about traveling. You learn so much about human beings. You know, you you interact with people from all different cultures, all different backgrounds. Uh, you know, you see a team come together and it changes so much the complexion of a team, even a good team changes so much over the course of the year. And there's just so much to keep track of whose knee hurts, whose elbows barking, everything. Um, it's just so much, uh, and it's just nonstop. And it's, it's, you know, all day and all night, because news can happen at any time, uh, even when they're not playing a game, you know, so, um, so I, I love that about it. I think it's a really great training ground um, for anybody in, in journalism, to be honest with you. What is the coldest you've ever been in a game? Because I'm just picturing <laughs> you, you know, that first Tuesday night game of the year, Indians at home, it's yeah. 18 the degrees outside. They're the Guardians now. The Guardians now, the Guardians now <laughs> Anthony was covering the Indians when he was at the end quarter, so... Yeah. So, so when I was young, you know, I would tough it out. And, um, if, and the lower you are in the pecking, like you go cover a postseason series, for instance, and you are the backup beat writer basically, or whatever you're like fifth or sixth on our organizational depth chart at that particular game. And that means you are probably going to be sitting in the auxiliary box as opposed to the press box, uh, the nice cozy, uh, heated press box in mid to late October, um, you're probably going to be out in the right field, uh, uh, right field stands in the auxiliary box, freezing your butt off. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know which one in particular it would be, but I know there were some playoff games where it was just brutal. Um, but it's also cool. You're kind of just you're amongst the crowd and, you know, you, you, you feed off that energy a little bit. Um, but I'm, I've gotten too old for all of that just in general. So if I don't have a press box seat, I'll go to the workroom. You know, I'll, <laughs> I'll, uh, there's many events where it's so lousy and you're in some kind of workroom uh, watching the game you're at on TV uh, <laughs> because, you know, you're, you're off in the back somewhere uh, and occasionally sneaking out to get a, a feel for the atmosphere. But that's just that's just nature of it. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, baseball just puts you through all conditions, as you know. Um, you know, there's also been there's also been events I've been at where you're you're locked in, you're sitting in an auxiliary box or front row of the press box, you're locked into whatever you're working on, and you look up a couple hours later and realize you have you've become totally scorched or the sun was beating on you without oh, yeah. you know without even realizing it. So that happens too. No doubt about that. Now what's interesting, it's obviously very different for you. You're not covering a team, you're doing more column, more fun type of stuff. For you, when you're looking to, to write a story, is there any particular player or coach that you always like to reach out to first and you know that they can kind of point you in the right direction with how you form that story? Well, you know, being based in Cleveland, um, and this isn't always the case, but being based in Cleveland, that, that's always been my 
home base in terms of people to turn to first uh, for certain things, or sometimes that's the genesis of ideas. I mean, they're just the people I see the most. You know, I go to the ballpark and those are the people I see the most. So we talk baseball and sometimes you get ideas from that or sometimes you're bouncing ideas off them. So that's always, and that, I'm talking about the front office, the coaching staff, and you build a relationship with the players over the years as well. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of, you know, ground zero for me personally. And I'm sure that's the same, you know, people based in New York, it's going to be the same with the Yankees and Mets. And um, yeah, I, I don't live in the baseball capital of the universe. I think that's pretty clear, but that's in some ways a benefit to me um, where the access is so much easier here than it would be if I were based in New York. Um, there's benefits to being in, in a New York or a Los Angeles, and there's benefits to being a place like this, but, but here, you know, I don't have that, that competition for a person's time you know, yeah. that I would have there. It's no big deal for me to get, you know, 15, 20 minutes with the pitching coach before a game. Uh, whereas that's probably not going to happen, you know, uh, in New York city. So, so I, I like that about it. And I'm, I'm, and I'm fairly close to other markets as well. You know, Detroit's not far away. Pittsburgh's not far away. Um, and so, you know, it's, 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 it's good for relationship building that way. Now, you said you're horrible predicting the future. I'm going to predict your future a bit here. Right. You know, in 2023, 24, and 25, the London series is going to be back. I yeah. think it will be at least at least one of those. That's going to be my prediction. You know what? It's funny. It's it's so funny you say that because just the other day, the mayor of, you may have seen, the mayor of London was at MLB headquarters. And I mentioned to my editor, I said, I think we need an official uh, European baseball uh, savant, you know, uh, uh, writer uh, at our on our site, the go-to person for all things Europe, and I think that person should be me. Yep. Um, wow! You know, and if I have to, and I have to travel over to London or Paris every so often just to get a feel for the the preparation or you know what people are saying about baseball, hey, you know, I'm I'm willing to do that. That's just I'm just that much of a team player. The European baseball feel. ambassador. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I, I like that. Perfect. All right. I mean, uh, let's hope we get the uh, the World Baseball Classic to come back. And you know, you, now that I, that I can't. That's John Paul Morosi's. I know, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I think I think you got to interview Mike Piazza, like had the uh, the team Italy <laughs> coach. I think you guys yeah. would, would hit it off. But you know, we're talking about the ballpark here. When you're covering games, obviously it's different now. You're not specifically covering a team, but what, what was your routine as to when you would get there? Uh, and you know, more importantly, I want to know like what's your uh, what's your pregame meal? Obviously, you could be there for you know seven eight hours, so you gotta you gotta be uh, locked in there. Uh, and then you know, are, are you snacking during the game? Are you staying hydrated? Sometimes some of these stadiums they don't have a bathroom in the press box, and if they do, there's just one stall, so maybe you can't really run. We always ask our broadcasters this question as well. So what's your what's your kind of your day routine at a ballpark? Yeah, that's interesting. All right. Well, I mean, as you guys probably know, we get there pretty early for baseball. The clubhouse is open. The home clubhouse is usually open like four hours before the first pitch. Um, so you get there before that and set up and think about what you're doing that day. And then you have the clubhouse access and the manager access. And, you know, I like to hang around for BP because that's that's usually a good time to interact with people on the periphery, you know, so to speak. And, um, uh, and you know, it's it's amazing. It's it goes fast. Pre-game actually goes faster than you would think. Um, because particularly in my role where I have, I usually have a reason to be on both sides of the field, you know, the, the home team and the visiting team. Um, and so you go from home access first and then visiting team access. And the next thing you know, it's an hour to first pitch. Uh, certainly use that hour. If, if you're writing something pre-game to, to bang that out. 
or as you said, to get something to eat. I've, I've in my, uh, as I've advanced in my career, I'm much less prone to eating the press box dining food and more likely to just venture off campus and bring it back. Uh, you know. Like really leaving the stadium or walking the conference? Oh yeah, leaving the stadium. Now when ah. I was on a beat, I never did that because I was so, when I was on a beat, I was blogging, I was writing a notebook. I was, I was probably writing like 3,000, 4,000 words be- before every first pitch. So I was insane and just writing way too much and and then cramming in a press box dining like during first pitch but but now so in what, my older what stadium has the best surrounding eateries outside of it oh man that's a great question um i mean boston's great there's there's a lot of good stuff around fenway although fenway's press dining is really not that bad um uh wrigley is is you definitely want to go off campus at wrigley anyway so <laughs> um they, they've got some good options there, there's there's a lot but um so yeah you, you and then you got to have a plan. You know, you got to know your body, just like an athlete. You must know your body and when you get hungry and how much to eat and how much not to eat. You want to overeat, but you don't want to undereat. You want to have a plan for uh, if, if this game really, you know, we're still in the pre-pitch clock era of baseball. So if this game really drags, you know, what's my strategy? Do I have a cliff bar in the bag? Uh, if I don't, I, I better have some crackers from the press dining, you know, from the soup uh, area uh, just, just to be prepared just in case um you know is there an ice cream option at this ballpark do they have a, a machine a soft serve machine do they have the ice cream sandwiches and the freezer what, what are we working with here you got to know the train that's very important so between these two stadiums you know if you're, if you're going to seattle or you're going to colorado are you more likely to have the rocky mountain oysters or the fried grasshopper <laughs> uh you know what and you know <laughs> Contrary to, to Joe, I, I do not like seafood. So I, I have wow. to say, the, I guess the grasshopper on principle, um, I think you deep fry anything, you can make it work. You, dip, you deep fry it and you dip it in some sort of condiment and you probably want to know the difference. So I'd probably go with the grasshopper, actually. That's interesting. An Italian who doesn't like seafood, <laughs> unbelievable. <Never. laughs> it's all right. Um, so we're going to move on to your book now, uh, Fan's Guide to Baseball Analytics. And uh, if you're anything like my cousins or my friends, you're sick of the analytics debates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody kind of rolls their eyes now when uh, when baseball analytics come up in conversation. Uh, but I'm going to talk about. I'm going to ask you about the process of the writing the book itself. Yeah. So uh, primary differences between writing an article in a column as opposed to writing a, a more long form yeah. uh, book uh, like you did, and uh, what was the the moment where you said to yourself, man, I, I always wanted to write a book. I didn't know what the topic of the book was. When did you settle on uh, basically fleshing out and giving a, a detailed analysis of the current baseball uh, analytical structure yeah. that we see in the game today right now? Yeah. So, I mean, the analytics debate, as you said, you know, old school versus new school, whatever, I mean, that, that war is won. Analytics won, whether you, know, you like it or I like it or not. It's been won. And so that's kind of where the book comes from is this idea of uh, for people like you and me who aren't mathematically inclined, uh, I mean, you better learn it if you're going to understand what the heck people are talking about on the broadcast, (laughs) because it's only going to get more invasive (laughs) on the scoreboard on the broadcast. Um, and And it does, I think it really does heighten your enjoyment of the game when you understand the game's language. I think that's always been the case, but now the language has changed, you know, and, and the, these stats are the language of baseball. Um, and that's just the nature of, of the progression of the sport. So this, this book is written to, to help uh, those of us who aren't mathematically inclined, the non-nerds, 
to grasp the nerdy numbers. Um, how I settled on that was uh, we were actually someone approached me uh, from this publisher about writing a book about a different topic entirely. And um, but during that conversation, um, we started talking about stats. And I, the, the gist of it was that, you know, we all know what a 300 hitter is like. We know what that means historically when you say a guy's a 300 hitter. But, you know, people don't know what a 100 OPS plus hitter is. Um, so how do we equate the modern numbers to the old numbers and that? Like, how do, how do we, you know, what is a good war? What is a bad war? What is a good WOBA? What is a bad WOBA? Things like that. Um, he, the editor thought that would be really helpful. So, um, and I, when he said that, a uh, kind of light bulb went off because I thought about it and I had been writing this book all along without realizing it um, because I had been learning these analytics uh, through the progression of my career and incorporating them into my work, explaining them within my work, um, occasionally writing articles that were entirely about stats and explaining those stats. And then it was all kind of right there in front of me. It was just a matter of putting all the pieces together and having it all in one place. Um, and it was really kind of fun and easy to write, to be honest. It's, that's the point, though, is it's supposed to be fun and easy to read uh, so that it's not like intimidating or boring or anything like that. So um so just each each stat is its own chapter like little essays about each stat basically and just just do them you know piecemeal like that and and at the end of the day you had um uh, kind of a glossary and it kind of functions in order in sequence where you kind of build up this knowledge as you go and as you learn one thing it helps you learn the next thing helps you learn the next thing um and just kind of stair-stepping it that way very fascinating and i would suggest that Anybody who wants to work in baseball in a college, Yale or Princeton, check out the books. It'd be very helpful going that because that's the path now. You go to Ivy League school, yeah. end up in the front office, and work your way up. Yeah, uh, you know, you the uh, the Mets assistant general manager Zos Zosmer. I mean, he he gets in there. This guy is he he's using analytics to predict Oscar winners uh, <laughs> analytically, and he he nailed all his picks. So it's just tremendous what the analytics can do for you these days. Anthony, last question for me here. You, you maybe touched on your answer a little bit earlier, but we want to ask you, what was your you know I'm right moment in your life, your career? So what we mean by that is a time where you wanted to pursue something. You ask somebody for advice. They said, ah, Anthony, I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't do this. Doesn't, doesn't think, I don't think that's going to work out for you. And you say, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. And ultimately, you will see why it is that I'm right. Oh, wow. Oh, boy. That's fascinating. What a great question. I, I, my, my biggest, uh, like X factor moment in my life was when I was, you know, starting to want to come off the baseball beat and to do something else with my life because of the aforementioned grind. Um, and just, I was getting married and I just, I didn't want that life for me or my wife anymore where I'm just gone yeah. all the time. And, and so I didn't know really what to do next. And it seemed like uh, one natural step was uh, uh, actually NFL coverage. I had an opportunity to cover the NFL um, because that is, you know, you got the travel, but it's, you know, eight games a year. Um, it's just a very different thing. Um, and so I, I had this opportunity. I actually briefly accepted it and, um, and, and kind of accepted it despite some advice uh, from my wife and others that, hey, you know, there's something to be said for staying at one place where you're valued. Uh, that was MLB.com. And they were they were trying to work with me on, on to have a better life work balance and a different role. Um, and so it was funny because 
I took, I took the other job on a Friday, instantly felt weird about it and spent all weekend kind of stewing about it. And then, you know, changed my mind, uh, come Monday and have been with MLB.com, you know, that continued since, but had I just listened to some good voices, uh, you know, and, and maybe ignored some bad voices, including my own, uh, I, I probably would have gotten that one right from the beginning. So I don't know if that answers your question that's the fine. way you asked it, but um, that's what I thought of when you asked that. So you, so I, you, I, were, I, almost, you were almost the Paul D. Podesta. Of <laughs> I was Paul D. Podesta before Paul D. Podesta. He's, he's made it work uh, longer in the NFL than I did. Uh, I lasted two days. He's lasted a, a little bit longer than that. Um, but I think we all have those moments where, you know, your life kind of reaches that, that fork in the road. And as Yogi Berra said, you take it, uh, you take one of them and, uh, it, you know, the, the sliding doors thing where your life changes <laughs> one way or another. Um, and it's just fascinating to think back in those moments and, um, you know, hopefully it works out for you. And then you look back and go, well, what was I so stressed about? You know, what was I so distressed about, you know, making this difficult decision when the right answer was there all along? This is true. Anthony, thank you again for doing this with us. We really appreciate it. Last question from me. I'm so happy Nick stumbled at, uh, about this before. How often do you still confuse the Guardians and the Indians? The truth. <laughs> uh, it's still, yeah, it's still happening. Um, more in casual conversation for me because I'm just so used to saying, oh, I was at the Tribe game or, oh, right. I, you know, the Indians. And sometimes I'm referencing them in the past anyway, so it's actually accurate. Uh, you know, like but, me, I, I was accurate, Joe. He I was, was yeah, you, technically um, you weren't wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just takes time, you know, and, and you hear it with the broadcast, even they're, they're still, you know, whiffing on that one every, every once in a while too. It's just, and it's, it's not even about not supporting the change because I was 100% supportive of the change. Um, Guardians wasn't my first pick of new names, but I was supportive of the change in general. Um, it's just reflexive and it's, it's in our history and it's, it's, and in, in me in particular, I mean, that, that ball club has been a huge part of my life. I met my wife through that team. I covered that team. I'm around that team all the time. Just, I, I watched it as a kid and all that. So to just suddenly flip the switch to guardians is a very difficult thing. But as I've said throughout this whole thing, give it five to seven years and, you know, we'll barely remember the old name. Uh, that's just the nature of life and, and things go on. Remember the disabled list? That's right. no, the injured that's list right. rolls off. The yeah. yeah, it does. It does. It does roll. It really does. Uh, so the Guardian's name, uh, a lot of people were very confused about that at first, but it does yeah. have a strong tie to Cleveland. So you could also answer that briefly before we let you yeah. know. Yeah, not many people realized, um, I think many Clevelanders didn't realize that um, there are these these statues right outside the ballpark. Uh, it, and it is almost as if they are guarding the ballpark in a sense. The, the Guardians of Traffic, um, a really cool, uh, the Hope Memorial Bridge, uh, which runs, uh, you know, in downtown Cleveland, connects like the downtown area to, to, uh, to Ohio City. And um, uh, there's just these cool Art Deco statues on there uh, overseeing traffic. And um, it was kind of natural for them to pull that in. And, and that's why they're the guardians. So even though I did fight for spiders and I fought hard uh, for them to reclaim the Cleveland spiders name, um, I totally understood, especially that it's basically the same word as Indians. <laughs> right. So, uh, and, you know, you can change the uniform and it barely looks any different. Uh, I guess that helps too. But um, so, yeah, that, that is the, that, that's where they got it. It's not like they, you know, we're watching Guardians of the Galaxy and, and got <laughs> something legitimately in Cleveland. And to be honest, I mean, when they went through that process, you look around and I love my hometown and there's a lot of great things about it. Um, but we don't have a lot to work with when it comes to, uh, 
to sports team nicknames. So I was, I was glad they were able to ultimately pull something that does have something to do with the city. Yeah, I think Spiders was the sentimental favorite. But uh, <laughs> yeah. after I found out the, the whole Guardians connection, yeah. uh, I was, you know, it, it kind of made sense. So uh, I'm probably public enemy number one for you because I went to the Yankees Guardians series over at the stadium <laughs> a couple of weeks ago where I went to all three games and they yeah. swept them. Yeah, they did. Uh, so you don't <laughs> want me going to any Cleveland Guardians games in the future. Uh, but Anthony, once again, thank you for doing this with us. We really, really appreciate it. And what we do here before we let everybody go is we give everybody the last word. So um, if there's anything else you would like to share, if there's anything else you would like to promote, or if there's anything else coming up in the future, kind of like that uh, whole London piece of news that you gave us, uh, please, by all means, go ahead. Uh, This was a lot of fun. Appreciate you doing this with us. Hopefully you can come on again real soon. And thanks again. Hopefully you have a good week. Yeah. Likewise guys. Yeah. Nothing, nothing specific to promote. I would just say thanks for listening. And you know, anybody can reach out to me if they are looking to get in this business and just need advice or or what have you. Not that I have great advice to offer, but um, you know, I I would just say uh, as, as my man, Bruce Springsteen says, just stay hard, stay hungry, stay alive and you'll make it through. There you go. All right. Thanks, Anthony. That's going to do it here for this episode. You know, I'm right for our very special guest, Anthony Castrovince, my co-host Joe Calabrese. I'm Nick Durst and this has been, you know, um, all right.